by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. If you're able, if you're, if you're not able, I understand. It says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. This is the psalmist, he's talking to God. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. You can be seated. first word there in verse 12 is restore say restore that's a word we're going to talk about today that's really what we're talking about restoration restore to me the joy of your salvation if he's asking for that to return it it would imply that maybe he's let a little of that slip have you ever done i mean we're human right this is a long life we can the farther we get away from our salvation when jesus impacted our life and brought us into a different kingdom the farther we get away the more we can forget the joy that that brought into our lives at this time but we're really supposed to live in that joy right it's like a marriage you were so in love when you got married but if you're not careful to to foster that relationship every day you can kind of fall out of love if you're not careful so he's saying return to me that joy because i'm telling you that was a joyous occasion if you forgot all the sin of the world, the weight of this life was lifted off your shoulders and you were set free. You were given a fresh start. That was a joyous occasion and you know it, right? And it says, make me willing to obey you. Because when you begin to forget where you came from and you lose that joy, the joy of the Lord is, is our strength, you begin to lose your joy, there's a good chance you're going to start to slip. That thankfulness is not there like it used to be. And then you, you start taking things for granted. And you begin to not obey the Lord. But I love how verse 13 starts. Because when you get that joy back and you begin to obey the Lord, then, say then. When, you're, when you have the joy, when you're obeying the Lord, you will teach rebels to obey the Lord. You'll teach the other folks. You'll begin to make a difference. And they'll return to the Lord. That's how it works. We work on ourselves. We, we remember our restoration so that we can help restore others. Pretty simple. Today's message is entitled, Restoration in Progress. And you know that's what you are, because I know that's what I am. A restoration in progress. Now, I've always, I guess it's because, you know, I grew up financially challenged, so to speak. Uh, I've been a peruser of the pawn shops most of my life. 
I pestered the pawn shops. I grazed all the garage sales. You know what I'm talking about. I fleeced the flea market. <laughs> Always looking for a deal. But growing up like that where you, you know, your, ke your ketchup gets down half full and you fill it back up with water, make it look full again, you know, making the most out of every situation, you begin to get an eye. When you see something battered and bruised, you, you don't look at it that way. You see the potential. And I'm glad I grew up that way. I'm glad I can see the potential in something that looks like, some people just won't new everything. And we're in a society where we just trash everything that doesn't look new. You know, there's no TV repairmen anymore, right? We just get another one. But I say all that to say, when we were looking for a house, me and my wife Angie, of course, I'm looking for a fixer-upper. I'm looking for a deal. I want the most. And so I went to the, the ads, and the one that had the most square footage for the dollar is the one I wanted to look at. And I called the real estate lady, and I said, I want you to show me this house that you got listed. And she was like hesitant. And I had to call her two or three times to finally get her to show up out there. And I brought Angie along with me. And we got there, and I could kind of tell why the lady was hesitant. Because the front grass was about this tall. And I actually had to clear a path for the two ladies to follow me to get to the front door. But hey, it was a big house. <laughs> and it was sitting on like three acres and stuff. It had potential. I saw the potential in it. So we went in. And she wanted to immediately show me because there was supposed to be a lake view in the back. It was a lake. And we walked out on this wooden deck thing, and she, she kind of was hesitant. She lady was, I think it's okay. We can come, I wouldn't touch the rail. And she says, there's, oh, there's the lake. <laughs> and it was all dried up, and there's old uh, truck tires and stuff out there in the lake. And she says, well, uh, let's go back inside. And when she did, she must have stirred up some hornets that was underneath the floorboard and they came out <laughs> and we all took running to the back door and we ran through the back door and when the real estate lady did her high heels caught on a rip in the vinyl in the thing and she went sprawling to the floor most unladylike <laughs> she starts gathering her stuff up <laughs> she says I tell you what y'all look around and, and, and I'll see you at the car <laughs> And, and so she made her way back out to the car. And Angie's just looking at me like, what have you got me into now? Well, I said, well, let's look around, you know. And we went into this big living room. And Angie said, I do like the crown molding. That's pretty. And that big rock fireplace, you know. There are, it's almost like every room we went into, there was a redeeming quality. There, like I said, potential. There was something bad, but, uh, but there was always a potential. And, I, and, and uh, we left, and the lady was in, you know, in her car, and I knocked on the window. And I said, well, can we get back with you about this? And she rolled the window down about an inch. She said, okay, give me a call. <laughs> and, uh, but she, she never called me back. And we never got that house, and Angie was glad about that. But to me, I was thinking, man, just with a little roof repair, a little drywall, a little electricity, a little plumbing, just, you know, in a couple of years, we could be in the place. Yeah. 
paint, carpet, flooring. You know, it needed all of that. But isn't that like our lives before we met Jesus? Really, full of potential. Gifts, it was a big house. Heck, you could have landed a crop duster in the unused bedroom upstairs. It was huge. I, I don't know how to fill a lake up, but I mean, it would have been a beautiful lake. And that's like our lives. There's so much potential. And God sees the potential. That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, we've been on our banner again. And we know that we're a warm, fun-loving family. Can you cut me down just a little bit? I think I'm a little scary. And, and I think we're doing good about warm, fun-loving, right? Everywhere I look, I see smiling faces. And, and we, we've already settled that we are warm and fun-loving. And then last week, we talked about the eager part, eager to reach out. How our desire should be to be a restorer, to work in the Father's business. And but what does it say? Eager to reach out with God's love and what's our word today? Restore. Restore all who have lost their way, all who have become a little bit dilapidated through the course of this sinful world in which we live in. I looked up the word restore, and it says to return someone or something to a former condition, place or position so what was man's original condition place or position that's what we're talking about how do we get back to what God originally intended for our life before we let sin just ravage it the effects of walking through this valley of the shadow of death well Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 God forms man and woman from the dust of the earth, you know. And then he says in verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So when you read about God's original intention for mankind, you see words like blessed, fruitful, multiplying, and having dominion. Sounds like a good deal. But we know sin shattered that good deal. We know death entered into the equation when we chose not to follow God's plan. When Adam did originally and, and allowed sin into mankind, and then we did, in our own lives, and we know we all did. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. We were born with this sin nature. And look at the world now. It's like the pride lands under King Scar. Anybody see Lion King? Wicked King Scar, that ugly little lion, mangy thing. And he turns the pride lands into a dark and an ugly world. And then Mufasa comes to restore the chaos. Mufasa. <laughs> but the real name that should send tingles up your spine is Jesus. Like we sang about today, it's the name above all names. He's really the one that came to restore order to the chaos that we've made this life. 
He's the one that came to make all things new. That's why he came, to exchange the death that we had chosen for ourselves through sin for his life, to give us light to come out of the darkness. Hallelujah. I think maybe we need to go back and restore the joy of our salvation here. There ought to be more amens about this. It shouldn't be cliches when I'm talking about Jesus made all things new. It should ring a, a, a something on the inside of you. See, he sure did right here. Hallelujah. It ought to make you raise your hand, jump up and run around. I ought to run across the top of the pews right now. You shouldn't need a pastor to stir you up about the joy of your salvation. Are we so far removed from the person that we, we were with no hope in the world to what he's done for us now that we forget? He performed miracles we see in the Gospels. When we, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the accounts of his earthly ministry, we see that he was always healing people, their physical needs. But that's not all Jesus did. He healed their physical needs sort of like a, a dinner bell to the gospel. It was to get their attention. But he was restoring much more than their physical health. He was here to restore all things to us. To bring in a new covenant. He restored worth to the woman caught in the act of adultery. Because, see, the Pharisees and the religious sorts, they didn't just throw the woman down at Jesus' feet out on the road somewhere. It says Jesus had went into Jerusalem and was in the temple teaching. He was in the temple. It would be like some people coming through the doors and bringing a woman down and dragging her and throwing her down in front of the church. And saying, we just caught this woman in the act of adultery. Now, I don't know who's, what preachers are, are walking around in people's bedrooms finding this kind of stuff out. I don't know what they were doing. And I don't know where the man was. But they have thrown this woman down in front of all the people and accused her. And that's what religious folks will do to you, to make an example out of you. They said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law says that she should be stoned. What do you say? They're waiting. He said, I, I say, let him without sin cast the first stone. See, them guys are in the temple with the stone in their hands. Just give us the word. What are they going to do? Are they going to kill this woman right here at the altar? They've already killed her self-esteem, her worth. Her, they're trying to destroy her because of her sin. And Jesus says, guess what? You have sinned too. Guess what? You're in the same boat with her. Now, if you hadn't sinned, you go ahead and throw your stone. And it says from the oldest to the youngest. In other words, to the ones who've been around long enough to know, uh-oh, we done got caught in that one. They dropped their stone and they walked away. And Jesus says, where are your accusers? 
says, but they're gone. He says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Don't continue on in that path because that's the way you got how you got. But the Son of Man didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. John 3, 17. We're all in this boat together. So maybe you're here today. You're thinking, church don't want me. That's a lie. Religion doesn't want you, but the church of Jesus Christ knows we're all in this boat together. We need the same forgiveness. And he'll restore your worth as he restored her worth. He restored sanity to that, what is it called, demoniac, the Pontiac, or what, what, the one in the tombs? Demoniac in the tombs? Jesus got out of the boat, you know, and the guy come running down there and said, what have you to do with us, Jesus? And it's just one man is like, what do you mean us? Dude's filled with demons. How do you get filled with demons? Do you wake up when you're, one day when your little says, when I grow up, I want to be filled with demons. I'm going to go to school and learn how to be filled with demons. I'm going to make something of myself. No. One errant thought. <laughs> something you fellowship that the devil threw at, you fellowship with the devil a little bit too long here, you stepped into something you shouldn't, and pulled you away a little bit more. Pulled you to the side and whispered this in your ear and, and pretty soon you believe in the lies. That's all the devil's got's lies. And he's stringing us along and leading us away from who we are. And this man had listened to the lies so long he had begun to believe them. He had begun to welcome demons into his life. And all around society today, you see the effects of of the enemy, the lies, the cults, the horoscopes, the Ouija boards, all evil spirits trying to draw us away and entice us into darkness and to get us, our mind, thinking on negative and dark things and welcoming the demonic spirits into our life, the occult. This man is wrapped up. They tried to wrap him up. They tried to throw him in jail, but he broke the chains. He couldn't be held. He had power, but it was demonic power. And here he is living in the tombs. You got to be pretty far gone to be living down at the graveyard naked, howling at the moon and cutting yourself with stones. And you think it can't happen today. But we got teenagers all over this land cutting themselves. And not just teenagers. Well, we should just, we should put them in, we should write them off. Those kind of people, they're too far gone. They've got that, they deserve what they get. Just let them stay there. What did Jesus do? cast them demons out 
Next thing you know, that Pontiac's sitting at Jesus' feet in his right mind, wanting to go with Jesus on the next missionary journey. Can I go with you, Jesus? Jesus restores sanity. And maybe you're sitting here today, you have you you don't know what all the lies that you believe, but you know something is amiss. You know there's darkness in your life. You can see the effects. It's like the wind. You can't see it, but you can see the effects of the wind. You can see the effects of the dark thinking in your life. Don't give up. Jesus is here to restore your sanity with the washing of the water of the word of God. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's here to restore you to proper thinking, to restore you to the truth of God. Psalms 23.3 says, He restoreth my soul. Your soul is your mind and your will and your emotions and all those things. Everything between your ears that's your biggest problem. He's there to, to clean it up so that you can follow this new spirit that he puts in your heart. Jesus restored Peter's purpose. Man, Peter. Peter was prideful. Man, I'll never forsake you, Lord. I'll die before that happens. You guys follow me. Watch me. I'll show you how to follow Jesus. Jesus said, Peter, before the cock crows, you'll deny that you even know me three times. He said, I've been praying for you, Peter. The devil desires to sift you like wheat, but I'm praying for you. And when you come to your senses, <laughs> when you outgrow all this pride, when you outgrow all, the, all this ignorant thinking, you're going to lead my church. I'm going to make you a rock on which people can stand. Make you a rock in your church. <clears throat> he denied that he knew Jesus. He goes out, he realizes what he's done, and he weeps bitterly. See, some of us, we got saved, and I see this all the time. They become the world's best Christians right away. They, tell, they can tell everybody else what they're doing wrong now. I'm the world's best Christian. Follow me. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's just like, especially down ministering at the jail, some of those guys know more scriptures than I do, but they're so prideful about it, you can tell, uh-oh, they'll be back. And Jesus, uh, Peter, he didn't know what to do. After he denied Jesus, he's like, I've messed this up. I've the whole Christian thing, I, I know Jesus is the truth, but I messed that up, and he's not going to want me now. I denied him, and their pride caused them to stumble. Their, their haughtiness caused them to fall, right? Pride goes before destruction, and haughtiness before a fall, and they fail. Maybe you've done that. Welcome to the club. I'm talking about me today. Can I, can I add you in the equation? Have you done any of these things? Have you thought bad thoughts? Have you committed adultery <laughs> against God? <laughs> Too many people. 
people raise their hand on that one. No. <clears throat> Just kidding. But no, yes, we're all in this boat together. And some of us, we started out so prideful thinking we know everything. You're going to find out your Christianity is, is about humility. God can't really use you until he breaks you. Breaks the pride off of your life. He won't share his glory with another man. And so as, as Peter's sitting there at the lake, he thinks it's over for him, I go a fishing. And so he gets back in the boat where God called him out of. And he goes to go back to his old life because that's the only purpose. I don't know what to do. I, I thought I was going to follow Jesus, but I messed that up. And maybe you think you've messed your Christianity up because you done left Jesus so many times. But Jesus is still waiting on the shore for Peter. He's still cooking him a meal. And when Peter sees him, you know the story, he jumps out of the boat and swims to Jesus. And Jesus sits him down. And he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, you know I love you. He said, feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Take care of my sheep. Peter, do you love me? <laughs> Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. I don't know why I did what I did. Peter, feed my sheep. And he not only restored Peter from his denial, but he restored Peter's purpose. Peter, you're not going to be a fisherman of fish. You remember I called you out of that boat to be a fisher of men. My sheep, my little lambs. I've called you for a greater purpose. And he restored Peter's purpose. And he'll restore yours today. He restored all things to me. If I seem unnaturally joyful during praise and worship, or I get excited preaching, it's just because I'm stirring up the joy of my salvation. Because I know where I came from. I spent more years serving the devil than I have serving God so far. I know what both is like. I know what it's like to be out of your mind with rage and anger for no reason. Probably in demonic stuff. I know what it's like to be shamed of yourself. To shame to show up at the door to church. I know what it's like to get saved and then be prideful. <laughs> and have to be humble. Know what it's like to serve a God that is a restorer of the broke down old house that I used to be. I didn't buy that house, but Jesus wouldn't have hesitated to take the project on. There's no house too far gone for Jesus. 
There's no body. And houses aren't like people anyway. There's nothing you have done that Jesus won't restore. He wants to restore you and your life back to the original intention that he had for you. Colossians 1.13 says, He's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. See, it was deeper than just physical natural level stuff he forgave our sins he restored us in the spirit now we have fellowship with god now we have eternal life and when we we filled with his holy spirit his holy spirit is a continual force of restoration in our life if we we walk in the spirit and not in the flesh luke 19 10 in the message paraphrase says the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost. Say restore. And isn't that exactly what our banner says? God's love will restore the lost. He came to restore the lost. How could I not be eager to reach out with God's love now that I've been this far down the restoration progress process. You've heard the story of Job, hopefully. It's a book in the Bible. It's a rich man. It's a powerful man. It's a righteous man. He has everything. His family loves him. He's got a great family. He's got wealth and immense riches. and He's respected in the, the community. And the devil comes in takes it all away his family is killed all except his wife his children all his animals and his wealth and riches are taken away even his health until he, he's laying beside a fire with boils on his body scratching himself with pieces of broken pottery everything that he once counted dear to himself is taken away from him except his relationship with God. Three friends come and sit down and begin to tell him that everything's your fault, Job. You must have sinned for this to happen. And for like 38 chapters of the book of Job, these three friends are going back and forth with Job. Job says, I didn't sin, fellas. God giveth and God taketh away. I did. But blessed be the name of the Lord. And Job, he, he thought it was God that had done it to him. And God did allow it. But it was the devil who had taken all these things from him. But even when he thought it was God that had did it, he would not reject God. He said, God giveth and God taketh away, but best, blessed be the name of the Lord. So Job did not sin, even in his anguish. You can imagine losing your family, everything that you have, your respect, everything, people laughing at you, gawking at you, and you got three friends just sitting there wearing you out. <laughs> Who needs those kind of friends, right?
long, I think it's long about chapter 38, if I'm not mistaken. God has heard enough. You read the book of Job and God steps in. And all the things that his friends said about Job, they all sounded right. They all sounded religious. Sounded like, yeah, that's, that's probably what happened to him. But God's coming and saying, you don't know nothing. You guys are just squawking. You guys weren't there when I created this world. You weren't there when I put the, the mountain goats up on the mountain, when I cast the stars into existence. You weren't there when I weighed out the seas or, or formed the mountains. You weren't there when the so-and-so animal had birth and, and how the birds fly. I don't know. You have to read it. It's like 30, it's about three chapters of God telling about, you don't know me enough to answer for me to blame me he said you guys are wrong and my servant Job has done right by not denying me and he says in Job 42 10 when Job prayed for his friends now Job had listened to all this for 39 chapters 38 chapters but it says when Job prayed for his friends the Lord restored his fortunes in fact the Lord gave him back twice as much as before he had new children more than before he had three daughters they say were more beautiful than it ever had lived on the earth he got twice as much cattle more money more respect and they say his whole trial period that the, the scholars estimate that it was only really like nine months of his life and he lived a long life and got to see his children's children and his great-grandchildren. But I want you to notice it said, when Job prayed for his friends, then the Lord restored. Why do I tell you that story? Because God restores you as you restore others. That's part of your restoration process. Listen to what I'm saying now. That's probably the meat of this whole message. You want to be restored? Then you need to be a restorer. As you pray for others, your prayers get answered. Your needs get met as you meet other people's needs. As you live your life according, see, that's the God's way is to be a servant. As you serve others, others serve you. It's part of your restoration progress. We aren't Christians in name only. We're little Christ here on the earth. That's what that means. We're little Christ. We're supposed to be like Christ. We're supposed to give light for dark, good for evil. We don't return evil for evil. We give love for those who hate us. Blessing when they curse us. And I'm going to say something a little peculiar. <laughs> we give peculiar for sameness. You have to think about that one a minute. But God says we're a peculiar people. That means we're weird. <laughs> no, that just means we don't fit in with the world's way. We stand out. Peculiar also means, another definition is means it's, it's set apart to something. It's peculiar to something. 
We're set apart to someone. His name is Jesus. And so we don't fit in. We're peculiar to the world. The world says you all got to be the same. You got to act the same way to be cool. You got to do this to, to dress this way. And everybody's supposed to be same. It's all supposed to be fair. God says no. In Ephesians 2.10, you are my masterpiece. How dare you try to be like someone else when I made you who you are? You need to show the world that I'm not the same. I am me. I am the best version that God is making me. He called me to a peculiar life, a particular path, a purpose. And you can find yours. So when it says, follow me as I follow the Lord, he don't say just be, be like me. Dress, let's all dress the same. Let's all talk the same. Let's all pursue the same endeavors. No. Be peculiar masterpieces for Jesus. We have the antidote for the flesh. It's the Holy Spirit. And we need to let the Holy Spirit lead our lives. And boy, you'll be peculiar to this world. They'll, they'll say, you're not like us. We're all mad. But you're not worried about it. You're not like us. We're all upset about this layoff, but you seem like it's no big deal, like God's got you. You're not like us. We're crying at the funeral like there's no hope. But you're, you're crying, but there's a smile and a glint in your eye because you know that you're saying that they've gone to a better place. And you're acting like you're going to see them again. You're peculiar. We demonstrate, we display, we instruct, and we lead. As Christians, because we're Christ-like. What does a maturing disciple of Jesus Christ look like? He or she is being restored, and they are a restorer. Restored and restoring. What, is a, what does a true church of Jesus Christ look like? A place where you can find the real Jesus all over the world? What is a church that finds the real Jesus, that, that displays the real Jesus? It's a, a place of restoration. It's a hospital of hope where people can come in here with the hope that Jesus cares about their situation and will cast them demons out, will restore your purpose, will restore your dignity and your worth. No matter where you've been, no matter how you ended up through those doors, that's the place you find the real Jesus. Not a place that's judgmental, pointing fingers. You're not dressing like us. You're not talking like us. Well, of course they're not. They just came through the doors looking for hope. Boy, if you have to be perfect before you come to the church, I'm not figuring that one out at all. Woo! That's why I love life groups so much. Man, that's like the workshop of restoration. That's like us getting, that's like us banding together, 
and getting outside the walls and going out to the workshop and, and building something in each other's lives. But you know what? In the workshop, I got a workshop out back of my house where I do woodwork. It's dusty and nasty. My kids won't go in there. They think they're spiders. It's messy work, working with humans. Because they got messy lives. And so if you go to a life group and things get a little messy, welcome to life. In a group. <laughs> right? But like I said, life groups is not something we do. It's what we do. Church is life in a group, and that was God's intention for us not to go through life isolated, alone. Say this, say, restore me that I may be a restorer. Restore me that I may be a restorer. You know, when they were building the walls, Nehemiah and them, I'm not going to take you to the scripture, but it's in your packet if you want to go back and read it. Sanballat and Tobiah and the enemies of, of God were pretty upset that they were built, rebuilding walls of Jerusalem. And some of you are rebuilding the walls of your life. This church is helping people rebuild the walls. So what does it do? It stirs up the enemy. It gets him mad. And so they begin to lie about Nehemiah and his work. They began to try to come and attack him physically. They tried to talk him out of it, tried to shame him. They tried to do all these things because there was a great work going on. And I want you to know there's a great work going on in this church. And so what they did is they didn't cower from the devil. They didn't cower from the enemy. They worked night and day. They worked so much the harder with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. And so you need to be not only carpenters, we need to be warriors. If we're going to get the job done, because we're going to have opposition. This is messy work. This is dangerous work because the devil wants to come in and throw a monkey wrench in every time, every, every life that's changed. So we just keep working. We're not coming down from the wall. We're not coming down because this is important business that is take, we're taking care of here. Carpenters and warriors. Now, I'm not talking about warriors with a natural sword. We're not fighting flesh and blood. We're talking about a spiritual warfare. What I'm saying is, as you're going to bring uh, a coffee table to somebody who's just buying their first apartment, you're trying to help somebody in need so that you can speak into their lives, you need to be praying for them as well. Spiritual warfare. We, we help them in the natural like Jesus did with the, the dinner barrel of, of physical healings. But we pray for them and we, we point them to their spiritual truths so that the, the deeper things can be resolved as well we become restorers of generations to come when you're a restorer to the things of God you affect your future generations 
You just think, oh, I got me enough, you know, I'm good. I, I go to church, I, keep, I stay right on, you know, I keep a balance. Staying right on the top of the fence here. You know, I'm not all bad, I'm not all good, but I'm good. <laughs> what about your children? What are they seeing? What you do in this life affects your children, your future generations. You have an opportunity to be a repairer of the breaches. You have an opportunity where there was this big hole, and these generational curses that have been dragging along in your family line, uh, this alcoholism, this drug addiction, this pornography, this, uh, this generational curse of divorce in your life has been dragging through every generation in your family. And you say, no, it's not going past here. I'm putting a stop to it. I'm restoring and I'm repairing the wall. So if you don't want to do it for yourself, do it for your children. Let them see you making a difference and following after the Lord with all your heart. Let me finish with Isaiah 58, verse 10. If you didn't bring your Bibles, we're going to let you look at it up here. But next week, we might not, so... Isaiah 58.10 Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as repairers or rebuilders of the wall and restorers of homes, primarily your own. Do I need to read that again? Do you want to be well-watered? Do you want God to restore your strength as you go? Psalms 80, verse 3 says, Restore us, O God. Cause your face to shine, and we will be saved. And if we keep our face pointed towards Jesus' face, then whenever where we walk, there'll be a trail of light for others to follow. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, and all my generations coming behind me will walk in that trail of light because I kept my eyes on Jesus. I kept my eyes on the prize and I, and I moved towards restoring, restoring my life, restoring my generations, restoring my family, and restoring everybody that I came in contact with because I'm a repairer of the breaches. No restoration is too far gone for Jesus. And what is it that restores? What is your primary way to restore Oh, how do I do it? How do I do it? Well, I, I mean, we could be here forever. But it's reach out with God's love. It's what restores. God's love. I don't know how the church began to think it was God's condemnation because God doesn't have condemnation. 
He didn't come to condemn the world. It was God. It's the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. It led you, and it's what's going to lead the people that you restore. There's conviction. We're not saying we don't pay attention to sin. But the Holy Ghost convicts us of our sin. And we show the love of God. And we speak the truth in love. Really, it comes down to is it important to you? I got a whole idea about a message that I might preach. I don't know, it might be too hard. I might run all of y'all off. But I was thinking this morning of a message entitled, it's just not that important to me. It's just not that important to me. Because you know what? If it's important to you, you will do it. If it's not, you'll make excuses why you didn't. But the things that are important in your life, you won't miss those. You do what you want to do. And if the things of God are not important to you, or you're not, you're haphazard, maybe come, maybe don't, the things of God, it's just not that important to you. I went ahead and preached that anyway. <laughs>